This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef's vegan recipes are full of plant-based proteins and wholesome sides. Go to greenchef.com slash nomeat130 and use code nomeat130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomeat Athlete Radio. Congratulations, Matt. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate you, that. Uh, you set a record. You were, you were part of the 74,000 plus people, right? Yes, I sure was. I, I can now say that I was at the largest attended MLS soccer game in history up to this point. <laughs> so, so, yeah, thank you for congratulating and recognizing that. Yes, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. You really, uh, <laughs> yeah. you really stepped up and made it happen. Yeah, you know? you're right. It took a, yeah. uh, yes, no, I, I saw some, I saw some of your photos, and then I also saw some photos from uh, some other friends. It looked like a really good time. It was a good time. Uh, it was like the game was a good one. The team looked good. They lost one nothing to LA Galaxy, which I think most people expected. Um, but it was really cool to to do it. I've never had like a. Well, I had when I lived in Asheville, it was the closest I had to a, a soccer home team because Asheville, of course, has uh, Asheville City Soccer Club. Who yep. I bet you haven't been to a game yet, Doug, but I, you should. I have not. No, it, it's really fun. They during COVID they moved it; it was a little less fun. But when it used to be at the stadium, uh, it was just a good. T- I don't know what what's cool about soccer games. No matter where you go to them, it seems is you get this like level of passion in the fan base that you just don't find in the other sports. It's not that not that, like NFL football teams don't have huge raving fan bases but you don't get as many people like as a percentage who are there with drums and smoke bombs and their face painted and like just totally into it and like you know travel with the team and all and like so i'm saying as a percentage i think just uh, there seems like a tenth of the soccer fans at the game are like that level mm-hmm. um so it's just i don't know it's just it's just fun and it's something that is new to me because i had never never had a professional home soccer team although i used to have a the uh the baltimore blast back in the day the the indoor soccer team yeah and i used to love okay. one of those things. okay i have it no, was, no idea who they are no, yeah. <laughs> i mean no one does but like there's this this indoor soccer league that has gone through all these different uh evolutions in in you know for as long as i've been alive it changes names every now and then like at one point they like introduced the three-point goal where you could score from outside the arc and get three points and, and like, what? really like, yeah i don't know when why they decided they should do that but uh yeah it's i don't know it's always been the thing so it's anyway that was that was fun when i was a kid but uh but having a soccer team that is a home team is is cool so yeah it was a good time and yeah so so i got a question about that okay um well i guess the comment first is you know i i think and i don't know this for sure but it seems like other sports just kind of almost uh decentivize that type of fandom in some ways like you can't bring in what uh, disincentivize yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> what did i say decentivize yeah disincentivize um like you can't bring in big flags or you know i'm sure if you brought a smoke bomb to a football game of uh a uh, nfl game they right. like like they that would not fly over well go over well and uh and big drums and stuff like that like you just don't see that and i wonder if it's because you can't you know, i mean like uh like i can't imagine going into an MLB baseball game, which is the most professional sports I've attended, uh, and bringing like a you know a massive bass drum, right? Yeah, you're right about that. It it is a weird thing. Um, so I'm I'm pausing because this is like 
there's there's a whole lot that like related to this. I don't know if I mentioned this on this podcast, but I was on our friend um, Steven's podcast. Steven runs vegan. I was on yep. there like a, probably like six months ago, and we own we didn't talk about fitness or veganism really. We just talked about sports and the sports culture in Europe versus the one in the U.S. And there's this weird thing where like the um and it was it was at the height of this time when that they were trying to form that European Super League. Oh yeah, uh-huh. this is risking getting too deep into the soccer stuff, but uh, <laughs> but like that league was such a capitalistic sort of league. Um, yep. that was that was meant and it was to basically be pioneered by a bunch of Americans, right? Yeah, a lot of American owners. Yep, and it was to take the, like I think it was the eight or the twelve biggest teams in Europe that pretty much dominate their home leagues, but just sort of put them into this all the time league. Um, anyway, like the format of that league would have been very American, and it would have been like the NFL. Would have been like designed for entertainment versus these these European leagues, they're not, and they have like like if you finish in the bottom three in most European leagues, you will go down to the next level of league in the next year, uh, and and someone else will get a chance to move up. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very uh, you know kind of kind of democratic system, whereas the American sports are more this weird thing where like it's it's not quite so democratic. Um, because there's so much, you know, there's money in all of them, obviously, but like it's just this different system. And the weird thing is that it's sort of the opposite of how the politics are in the in the two different <laughs> countries. <laughs> so oh, anyway, yeah. so, so we were talking about that, and it's, you, can, you can go deep on that, obviously. But um, but what you were just saying, I was trying to think about it because like you're not allowed to, in in Europe, at least you're not allowed to have there's no alcohol sales during the soccer games because people get out of hand. Oh, but all this other stuff is totally fine, and so it's funny that over here. Soccer accepted. Um, you know, there's plenty. It's of all alcohol. about alcohol sales. Yeah, right. It, it's a huge part of it, and mm-hmm. this other stuff isn't isn't allowed. So mm-hmm. now, what, the good thing about Charlotte FC game, and, and I assume all MLS, is that there's both the alcohol and the, uh, and the <laughs> you know the hooliganism. So uh-huh. uh, it was fun. But anyway, uh, so so I I went to a, and I think this is probably common in, in a lot of non U.S. based soccer games. Um, but uh went to a couple games in, in Chile when I lived there and uh mm-hmm. I was always like the fandom is so intense that they you have they literally filter out fans like after the game, like you leave at different times. <laughs> like first first the away team leaves. Right. Uh, or whatever, right. and then the home team leaves. And maybe it's the other way around. But um you know, but they instead of mix like they the people are so passionate that they won't even let people mix as they're <laughs> leaving the stadium, which is just I mean, it's so bizarre. It's so wild. My, I don't have, I haven't watched a whole lot of like South American soccer, but my impression of that, like whenever I hear about these stories, these epic like, you know, melees that happened at games, it seems like it was always in South American soccer <laughs> games. Maybe that's unfair. I don't know, but but for whatever reason, like I have this impression that that's like the craziest form of of soccer. Okay. Game. Okay. But I, I mean, because it it would be you know it wouldn't be just like a title game; it'd be just like a random match, you know. Right. But they just like take those precautions every right. time. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's like, and and that's unfortunate that they need to do that. But like, that's what is for me. I think probably at the most exciting, cool thing about soccer is that it has that like level of passion in somewhere in mm-hmm. the world, right? And I don't have that level of passion for it for sure. And I don't think almost anybody in Charlotte does. Although there's the core group of fans probably do. I mean, maybe not yet because this team doesn't have any history or anything. But I, it's just like I just want to be a part of that, you know. Like when I when I see that, I want to care that much about something. Like that would be yeah. That's what yeah. you want out of sports. So I think that's why soccer just seems so much fun to me. Always like as a sport, like I would love to like be a true, really, you know, uh-huh. legit soccer fan. Which I'm I'm still getting there, but I'm I'm not that. Yeah, 
So, so one more question on that. We didn't mean to go down this uh, soccer rabbit hole, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But um, so, I, I some of the videos, maybe one that you posted, but certainly another one that I saw. Um, all right, the chance that people are doing this is the second game, right? This is the second match for Charlotte yeah. FC. Are matches. they? Are they? Um, and I, this is how little I know about soccer. Are those like standard soccer chants that they're just like in, saying Charlotte in there or something, or is that like do they already have their own chants and people already know it? <laughs> they they have their own chance and they all have they all have like words that somebody sat down and wrote obviously because they're you know talking about the team colors and bleeding black and blue and something else um there was like a QR code up on the jumbotron in the early in the game that if you scanned it you could get the PDF sheet that has all the words and all the chants <laughs> on it <laughs> yeah. so maybe a okay. little contrived. so maybe the team wrote it that probably or something right okay but but when you hear these chants, like if you actually listen to chants at soccer games, like I think each club kind of has their own signature sort of chant. But then many of them, like the Asheville City chants, it seemed like they seemed like they were just all derived from the other famous ones, and they would just put Asheville name into them. Right. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I'm sure that's a combination of that and maybe some new stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of neat. Different. Yeah. I mean, it's super cool. It's super. It's it's awesome to see such fandom on a for a new team. Yes, absolutely. So when you, next time you're in Charlotte, let me know and we'll go to a game. <laughs> now, I, now I get the invite. I had to, I had to ask for it last time. but <laughs> <laughs> Or you can take hold of the game and I'll go out. With, uh, you know, yeah, with yeah exactly. I'll babysit. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> no, no. Um, awesome. So one thing I did want to talk about today is, uh, is kind of this area of influx in my life. <clears throat> right now we um and we've talked about it, i think a little bit we're renovating uh so my office that uh i have podcasts out of for the last three or four years has um is in an, in our detached garage which is attached to another part of the garage that is unfinished and we're in the process of refinishing that now turning into a little little mother-in-law suite with a bathroom which will be nice so i have water so she'll pee. be attached to your office Oh no, she's not gonna live here. Oh, okay. It's a, it's that's the name of like a like gotcha. a little efficiency apartment type okay. thing. That, um, I was almost your... gonna say, good, that great, Doug. That'll be awesome. To have your <laughs> no, office right no, next no. to your mother in law's suite. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a like a little, just a little like uh, studio apartment type thing. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Airbnb maybe. Uh, possibly, you know, but I think we're gonna try to try to make it. We're we're making it. Um, airbnb able, but mm-hmm. uh, the intention is actually going to be for Katie to use it as for, for private yoga. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, so anyway, they're in the process of that renovation, which means I've had to leave my office because there um, is lots of noise and people coming and going, and it's very unpredictable what's going to happen that day. And uh, it has really thrown me for a loop. It's amazing how much a simple change of where you're working, and, and this is, you know, you know, a, a complete environmental change of where I'm working has has thrown everything, all of my habits that I've that I've been working on for the past few months, several months, uh, mm-hmm. or most of them has has just like completely thrown them out the window, and it got me thinking. Is you know, two years ago when everything shut down, everyone started working from home and couldn't go anywhere and all this stuff. The same thing happened. I know to me, and but a lot to a lot of people, right? You lose all of your fitness habits and your healthy eating habits. Because suddenly your environment changed and everything kind of 
you know, everything about your day has changed. And for me right now, it's, uh, it's working out of the office, which means, uh, or out of the house, which means I'm not able to just like, um, go in and get a healthy snack when I want. I'm having to kind of prepare things ahead of time. You know, I was, uh, I had, I was having no trouble, not even thinking twice about, you know, intermittent fasting until 11 or 12 in the morning. But now suddenly I like feel this pressure cause I won't have food when I need it or when I want it to like pack all this stuff. And then I'm, I've been eating a little bit more breakfast. Um, or, uh, I'm not, I don't have my kettlebell over at this cause I'm working out of like a co-work space. I don't have my kettlebell over there or I can't go for like a midday run when I have a few minutes, like everything is kind of out the window. And once like one of those dominoes falls, everything falls. And so it's been a really kind of valuable lesson, re-lesson for me in the importance of establishing a, a, a proper environment to be successful with your habits, especially your healthy, your health habits. Um, and, and kind of putting up walls and putting up processes in place for what happens when part of that environment shifts. Um, and, you know, I'm still very much figuring this out. I've been out of the house for a month now and, uh, I'm still very much kind of getting back into it, but it's just been a, a really important lesson. So I wanted to kind of bring that up and, and see what, if, if that sparked any ideas in your mind. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it reminds me that like anytime a habit, I shouldn't say anytime. So often when a habit like that you're trying to form or that you have formed, when it when it just suddenly evaporates, it's because something changed in your environment. Either you like had someone come and stay with you for a week or you traveled for a weekend or whatever. And like it's it's weird how like I've had this happen with me recently actually with like this new fitness stuff. Like as soon as I go to Atlanta for a weekend uh, mm-hmm. for a soccer tournament, it's like I don't have my place to do the i don't have this 400 meter 800 meter loop figured out anymore and it's you know i don't know where i'm gonna run and i don't you know it's hard to bring a kettlebell there i can bring one but i can't bring a couple uh mm-hmm. and it's like it just messes everything up and then you're you know the obviously timing gets off but like i think it's i think it is definitely like an underappreciated factor in habits is just just how much like you need to prepare and have a backup plan if you don't want a, a, even a weekend long trip. If you do your habit during weekends, even a weekend long trip can can screw it up. Or a visitor, even when a visitor is not really changing your environment, if they just change the dynamic of the environment that you're in, uh, mm-hmm. it just it just makes like so many habits of mine have have gone away in one of those two circumstances. So I think that's absolutely right. I do think like it's. I guess like when you told this to me yesterday about that we should talk about this, I was thinking like I was trying to think of examples and really I was only thinking about work, but I I in some ways think like the environment setup, at least in my own experience, is kind of like overblown and a lot of it is like just some, uh, you know, form of procrastination. This mm-hmm. idea that like I need to set everything up just the way I want, and I need to have these certain books up on the shelf that are going to inspire me, and these pictures on the wall, and like I need to have this view, and my desk needs to look like this, and have everything straightened up. Your Seth Godin quote, just in the right spot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but like it, I don't really think it does anything. Like I, I can just very vividly imagine the the, um, the situation of having everything finally in place, and then sitting there, and it's like, okay, so now now I can actually work. And then you don't actually work. Then you like find something else to think about or yeah, do instead. Yeah. So like I, I think a lot of that is is really procrastination. Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, well, are you done with that or no? Well, I was just gonna say that like I I but I 
think what you're saying is not the importance of like designing just the right environment. Right. It's it's the importance of that your envi- environment kind of like evolves over time, like like you said, like with the kettlebell right next to your thing, or the ability to go run at work, uh, or at lunchtime. Like it just your habits sort of like mold to fit that in whatever or they you know they they move to fit the mold that that your environment kind of gives you, and so because you're able to have this kettlebell in your ear, because you're able to easily go out for a run, like you start to do those things. And so then when you're in a new environment, when that's not so easy, it really messes stuff up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think that's what you're getting at more than like, you know, the, the environment's so important to be designed exactly the way you want. Cause I think, I think it's more that like your, your habits will actually form the way your environment allows them to. And then when that gets disrupted, then you're in trouble. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's exactly right. Especially around work. You're, this this idea that you're you have to have everything in the right spot in order to focus properly like i think that there's probably some things to that like certain you know not having a lot of clutter probably is a little less distracting or whatever but i you know i don't know how true that really is because you know for example this uh, i'm you know i do have a little kind of closet space it's it's my office now in this in this co-work space um that or it's about the size of a closet i should say it's not actually a closet um that you know that is kind of mine and i have like a desk and all that stuff and i have like things things there that are mine but uh i'm finding myself working out of that more often than not because it feels a little claustrophobic Uh, Mm -hmm. so you know i'm working uh, in shared spaces or at a coffee shop or whatever and all of the like environmental things that they say not to do you know people noise music uh people you know kind of walking by that kind of thing I'm, you know, all that stuff is actually, I'm finding that I'm working in some ways better. I'm able to better focus, especially around like writing for whatever, just like having all that kind of chaos around me is allowing me to uh, zero in a little bit better uh, on, on kind of some deep work, um, which is interesting. And, and so it's that, and that's the total opposite of this, my office in a garage on my property that I will go all day or multiple days without seeing anyone other than my family, you know, kind of like really being isolated and thinking that that's the best way for me to do deep work. So it's, that, that part is kind of shaking it up. And, and in some ways I'm learning more about myself and, and, uh, and how I function. Um, and that will, I think, continue on after, uh, after this is the renovation is done. But so, you know, so that type of environment, you're right. I think, I think a lot of that is just a form of procrastination having having them be perfect and that goes with health habits and running habits too right you know people think that they can't run because they don't have the proper shoes or the proper jacket for the weather or or whatever you're just you're basically just putting up excuses but i do think it's you know your your habits and even the ones that i would have said a couple weeks ago were were pretty locked in you know i was doing kettlebell every day i was meditating every day when i went to the office i was you know doing the you know just eating well throughout the day i felt pretty locked in on those and they were i was just it was so surprising to me how fragile that was when when everything changed and Mm -hmm. um and now i'm rebuilding and i'm finding i'm adjusting right like i'm finding that some routes from this downtown office are super fun for me to run midday it just takes a lot more effort to kind of make sure i have clothes and have ability to change and you know all that kind of stuff and so I'm, i'm like figuring all that out but it was it was just it was like really disheartening and discouraging when when a simple shift of working from somewhere else completely kind of upended most of the stuff I was working on. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I mean, and you're right. It is it is too bad, I guess, that probably all of our habits that we think are so strong are actually that fragile. But it just goes to show you the importance of of 
that environment. So I guess what you know what someone could take from this is like, you know, I don't know where the where the line is as far as like what is what is what we just said is kind of too much of trying to over design the environment and imagine that this is the secret to figuring it all out. But like, if you're trying to get healthier, or you're trying to start exercising, or you're trying to you know change whatever, like just like Dan Butner from Blue Zones told us on the podcast, like he like the most important thing you can do is change the situation you're in. Like just find a way to make the situation encourage the activities you want. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and what you said is kind of interesting. Like this reminds me of like when you buy a kid or a cat like a a present and then they end up just playing with the box. Like you yeah, can all the yeah. time get the uh-huh. right thing and then uh-huh. what they love is the cardboard box. This sounds like, you know, people design their ultimate like at home workspace and it's quiet and solitude and all these things that supposedly would encourage the focus and then you go out to a noisy coffee shop and that's where you actually get work done uh because for whatever reason like i don't, I don't know maybe, maybe when you're actually there then there truly aren't like this then there isn't this pull to get up and go do other stuff because you're just there and you're there for that purpose and it doesn't matter what the noise is it's just like that's where you are there to work and that's what you do um so i think i think that's what i was going to suggest to you like can you can you find some way that like this would you know, like we'll we'll be. I guess it depends on the time period. But like, could you view it as some sort of sprint where like it's okay that now you can't go for runs during lunchtime because you're instead in, in this temporary work situation where you'll just work like crazy during this time uh, mm. and and be super motivated. And similarly, like if someone loses their ability to take this out of work and more like a fitness thing, like if you lose your ability to uh, whatever you know run trails on the weekends because you're working somewhere and now you just don't have that and you're in the city, like, can you find some other fitness that you can do in your place that you otherwise wouldn't have ever considered doing because you could do instead what's comfortable, which is go run trails. Like, you know, now you start doing kettlebells to use our example that we're both into. Um, But like, you know, just doing like picking a habit that actually fits the environment you're in. Maybe, maybe sometimes more than, designing your environment to fit the habits you want to form maybe the maybe the better idea is choosing the very best habits you can given your environment yeah i love that i love that kind of adjusting your habits rethinking what um you know you might be you might be losing one of the habits that you had locked in but you're replacing it with something else that so you so you for lunch could go get barbecue sandwiches every day and you'd like (laughs) the barbecue guy I'm, I'm the barbecue guy, right? And my office is, uh, or my this co-work space is, is literally directly above a, a barbecue place. So there you go. Um, Might be a chance to try out try out a paleo diet or something for a little while. <laughs> yeah. And no thanks. I think uh, I think I'm gonna pass on that one. But <laughs> but thanks for the idea. That's that's nice. <laughs> you are welcome. My pleasure. All right. So we did want to talk quite a bit about running, or not quite a bit. We wanted to kind of check in on a few running things. Um, but why don't we, before we do that, why don't we pause for a second to thank our sponsor. We've teamed up with Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Go to greenchef.com slash nomeat130 and use code nomeat130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Green Chef provides the most sustainable meal kits by offsetting 100% of their carbon footprint and emissions. Plus, their pre-portioned ingredients mean you'll actually reduce your food waste by at least 25% compared to grocery shopping. Green Chef makes cooking easy so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. I love a good home-cooked meal, especially <laughs> one that uh, that takes the prep out. I don't really have to prep for. 
yeah, that's the great thing about Green Chef is, of course, the meals, the ingredients come pre-prepped, so you don't need to do that stuff. And not only that, they also plan your meals for you. I mean, of course, you'll pick your meals from the choices they give you, but sometimes just a tiny bit of restriction in what you can choose uh, ends up ends up freeing you to uh, to make the decisions you're making really easily. Yeah. With Green Chef, you get hand-picked organic veggies and premium plant-based protein, so you can feel great about what you're eating and how it got on your table. Go to greenchef.com slash nomeat130 and use code nomeat130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. It's not too often we get a $130 discount uh, that we get to advertise on the on the podcast. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. good. It sounds like it's our bundle sale happening. I know, where, I know, people, but it's, people that's Green Chef. $9,000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> greenchef.com slash nomeat130. All right. So running, well, you you had a big uh, you had a big weekend. Not only did you uh, attend that big soccer game, but you you ran a race of yourself. You are an athlete. Uh, that's true, right? Because I attended and and ran. Therefore, I am an athlete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yes, I did. I ran. I ran a race that morning actually, and made for a long day. Uh, but I did. I did. It was a half marathon. You know, it was it was a race, but it wasn't something that I was treating like a race like I it really as I said a few months ago um part of my plan for getting back into running is that whenever possible uh you know given cost considerations and logistics and things if I can do a long run and by long I mean you know anything over 10 miles if I can do that to be a race that is happening nearby uh I'm gonna try to do that because I really hate long runs but somehow when it's race day it feels like it's fun um and so that's what this was. I didn't. I didn't feel it. My my training plan called for a thirteen point one mile time trial, meaning as fast as you can do it. And it's it's really hard when you're on your own to do something as fast as you can do it uh, yeah. for that amount of time. It's just it's just difficult. So I figured go sign up for this race. It was uh, it was I think it was called the Truest Corporate Cup. I don't know why, which is not a very good name, but uh, <laughs> it's like Charlotte's oldest road race, I believe. So it's it has like yeah. forty three years of being run. Um, anyway, half marathon, I did it. My, my daughter had a soccer game, so my wife and son and daughter were not there to watch me. So it didn't really feel like, well, I mean, it felt like a race. It just wasn't a big ordeal. You know, I just finished it and then got in the car and left and it wasn't like a big <laughs> celebrate, the, celebrate the race. Um, yeah. but it was good. I, I had based on the times that I've been running, which is, you know, not nearly my old speed. Um, but like the cool thing about this CrossFit endurance program I am doing from the book, uh, the unbreakable runner, if anyone's interested, uh, is I, I don't I like these kind of things when I qualified for Boston like you had very I have very specific paces that every workout is meant to be done at um, and so I'm I'm kind of keeping track of those things and like so based on that you get a whole lot of different 10k results and, and now half marathon results and it's like you kind of always know what pace in theory you're capable of running a race so when I went into the half marathon I knew exactly the pace that I was trying to run um, which was not that fast but not that slow it was I think it was a seven uh, 40 pace to to end up running a 140 half marathon. That's what I figured would be reasonable based on the times I've been running, um, mm-hmm. which is not like I said, not not a fast time. I think my fastest half marathon was probably 135 or 133 or something when I was in shape to run the 310 marathon. Um, but it's way faster than it was because this this was my also my 10. This was the race pace that I ran for my 10k back in uh, September. So that to me is a is a nice sign of progress that if I could keep that pace up. Uh, whatever this is, five months after that, now running half marathon instead of 10K, then that's pretty good. Um, and so it worked out great. The race was hillier than I expected to, so I didn't quite hold that pace, but I think I ran 
143 was my time, uh, which ended up being like a 745 or 750 pace. Um, but what was good about this actually is like I was kind of concerned, as we've talked about, like because this program I'm doing doesn't have many long runs. Like there's just that's not a feature of the program. This is the longest run I've done uh, as part of this thing. Um, I was just wondering what would happen at the end of races. Like that's what I was thinking. Like that's when the wheels will fall off. But the argument they have made is that this sort of they say like the longer the race goes, the better this sort of program is a fit for it because their claim is that like as the race gets longer and longer, it becomes less and less about your aerobic fitness and more about how well your body's going to hold up. And their, their hypothesis, I guess, is that, uh, if you, if you have done a whole lot of strength training, which is what the CrossFit endurance type workouts do and all the kettlebell workouts that I've been doing in place of so many running miles, uh, that that will actually make you better able to, to hold up. And I actually found that to be true. I don't know if that's, if that was the, the cause, but what I found was that at the end of this race, I really felt totally great. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I was slowing down a little bit, but it did not at all feel like what I've experienced before where mile 10 or so of a half marathon or mile 20 of a marathon, you just start to feel terrible and you just, you're just holding on for dear life to the pace and it's slipping away and, and it may just all go before you finish. So, um, I felt really good and, uh, was very, was very happy. Next up, I have a, uh, in two weeks now, I have an 18 mile, 18 plus mile trail run. It says, or maybe it's 18 mile time trial on trails, but I'm not uh, going to run trails. I'm not going to run trails. So uh. I'm, it's not into that. <laughs> so I figured I would run longer and I'm actually going to run a marathon for this distance uh, wow. and just do another, another time trial, but this time marathon distance. Are you running and, a race? Yes. I have a race in mind. I haven't, uh, I haven't signed up yet. So I have to, I have last minute kind of thing. I am now traveling to Florida to Orlando for a week next week for soccer, believe it or not. Um, and there's a race I found there on, on Saturday when I'm there. So I'm thinking I will just do that one and then head home shortly after. Uh, so again, another unceremonious race finish perhaps. Uh, but anyway, thinking I'll do it and, uh, and see how it goes. And if that goes well, then I will feel like I'm, I'll feel pretty confident doing some kind of ultra marathon. And I am signing up for one, but have not, uh, have not yet made any public commitment that i'm actually doing it you you haven't even made a private commitment i've tried to get this out of you for a while now and uh... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i haven't committed You're... to myself that i'm doing it because this because this program is so weird that i'm all, all the way i'm like well if this if this next distance goes well but ultimately this this marathon is more like if i can do well with that if i can run say a 330 marathon or so just something in that range and not feel like i'm falling apart at the end because i haven't done any runs over 13 miles which is the risk uh then, then I maybe I'll say okay, then I can handle an ultra now. Mm-hmm. But up until then, I'm I'm not even committing to myself that I'm doing my ultra marathon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a lot of fun. I I think uh, it's been a long time since I've run a distance road race. Um, but you know they're they're really fun. It's fun to like be around the people and in the corrals and um, you know out on out on the roads with the police officers and i don't know it's just a, a yeah. fun environment so i think uh I, I totally understand the appeal of, of trying to get your key long runs to be races um and that that's advice that like if you're running your first marathon that you know we might give to people anyway not like every weekend of course but um yeah definitely half marathon one, or, or sure. whatever um and uh so i think i think that's great i think that's that's really fun even if it is somewhat unceremonious without family around or anything like that i think it's just a good time yeah so anyway, um, what I didn't mention was like the biggest uncertainty I had actually was not the 
you know, how, whether I would finish. Like, I was pretty sure it would be fine. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I should say the biggest uncertainty I had wasn't how well my fitness would hold up for 13.1 miles. It was actually whether my calves would, you know, just revolt. Because the big unsuspected or unexpected thing of this for me. So when I took on this this program, this Unbreakable Runner program, which is CrossFit endurance-based, um, I also at the same time started doing the pose method, which is the a running form method. Uh, the, the guy's name is Romanov, who wrote it. Um, famous kind of thing. People know about the pose method. It's been around for something like 15, 20 years as far as I know, probably much longer, but that's when, as long as I've known about it. Um, but so like the CrossFit people, the people I've been reading, including uh, Kelly Starrett, who's the mobility guy, and just, I just think he's super smart. And the amount of, like the way he talks about biomechanics, and like I've just really found that interesting. And that's a big part of my approach this time to running is like to do it in the smartest, most efficient way possible. Do it in a way that's building all this strength in areas that aren't just for running, but that will apply to running. Uh, and so like basically not put in as many miles, but do things smarter than I used to so that my body's in better shape and that and that I can just hold up as a runner because my movement is so good. So that's why like I found this kind of easy to just say like, yeah, I'll just go for this pose thing. It sounds like these people who I'm sort of trusting about the biomechanics and things are saying this is the way that they teach you to run. Before every every one of these workout runs that I'm doing, I do a series of these, these drills that are basically taken from the pose program. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's like... I, you know, so I, I plan to do that. And I thought that'd be good. What I didn't expect was because that focuses so much on uh, the forefoot strike rather than the heel strike. And this guy claims that a midfoot strike is technically impossible or exceedingly rare. Uh, so forever, I told myself that I ran with a midfoot strike, but actually, I think I ran with a mild heel strike, and that's probably what most people actually have when they call it a midfoot strike. Um, and so, what I did not expect was the calf pain that would result from <laughs> trying to run like this. So they give you, I mean, in, in the Pose Method book, which I think is called Running Revolution, um, they give you sort of a graduated program where you like, you know, slowly incorporate, just like the old barefoot thing where everyone was getting hurt with the uh, the minimalist shoes because right. they didn't ease their way and they just went for it. Right. But with this Pose thing, I kind of just went for it just from the beginning. Because the work, like the runs were short, like there's a lot of 400 meter repeats and 800 meter repeats. It's always been like, well, I can do that form for that you know, a minute and a half or three minutes and like, that'll be perfect. And then I'll take my little pause and then I'll do it again. But, and that worked for like the first month, but recently my calves have just been just killing me as the runs have gotten longer and I've kind of kept this form up. Uh, And like, I've had to miss some workouts here and there because of it. And so I was really concerned that once I got to this longer race distance that like, I just wasn't going to be able to run at all almost. Uh, it's just, you know, the big crampy feeling. And like when it happens, it's like, it's just so painful. You can't run. So anyway, um, I, I, I solved it by kind of figuring out that like, if I can just do all the pose stuff that I've been learning and drilling and, and conditioning, do all that, except don't focus so much on the forefoot strike and just be okay with myself midfoot or, you know, mild heel striking like I always did. Um, and so that's, that's how I was able to, you know, do this. And actually it worked out really fine. I, I and I tested it a little bit before this too. But uh, that has worked well enough as a solution. And I still find myself, like, for a few minutes in the race, I found myself kind of, like, shifting to doing the forefoot striking a little bit more. Because I really, like, it feels when I do that, like, if I've been running in, like, my old way and then I shift to that, it kind of feels like it's a different gear. Because it's not like I haven't strengthened it. Like, I've done plenty of of training now in that other way. 
And when I do that, it feels like suddenly I'm landing on different muscles and different or different muscles are being used to land. And it actually feels like I can suddenly get faster when I shift to this new form because that's those those exact muscles aren't fatigued right now. So it actually has worked out well or worked out well this time, feeling like I had two different ways that I could run. Hmm. Um but anyway, it's it's been uh that's been that's been the unexpected struggle is, is just how how much this would hurt uh and, and cause me yeah. to miss some workouts here and there. So I want to, you know, not to spend too much time on, on the pose method, but I want to kind of dig in a little bit because a lot of people probably don't know really what it is. Um, and, uh, you know, I know the basics, but I haven't spent any time studying it like you have. Um, you know, so I, when I think of pose, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm thinking about um, uh, some things that are fairly common, like cadence, you know, reaching that 180 cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's about like, of falling forward, you know, again, that's that's fairly common advice is kind of leaning forward, uh, letting gravity push you. But but uh, landing on your forefront or for your whatever forward, four foot. Oh God, four foot. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, landing up underneath your body, not extending your stride out too much. Not um, let's see, uh, that's about it. it but the pose, right? It's like three three functions, right? Like there's the fall, the pose, and the and the pull, yeah, and the pull, yeah, yeah. Yep. About pulling, so, right? It's not about like uh, pushing, right? There's no pushing. It's about pulling and right. falling, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, like this, it to me, this sounds when when you talk about it, when you say it that way, which is an accurate way to describe it. Um, it it kind of sounds like not that different from any other running form approach, and that's a good thing, I think. Like the this. Chi running, uh, we used to listen to Ultra. What's it, Golden Harper? Is that right? He had yep. he had his little thing that he that Ultra kind of promoted, uh, and they all had these same principles. Mm-hmm. Um, my like, I guess for me back in the day, like when I was a serious runner, kind of serious before, um, basically all I did was run at a higher cadence. If I took 180 steps per minute, that and three steps per second is what it comes out to. That like for me felt like it solved injury. It, it solved my injury issues that I was having as a beginning marathoner, and so mm-hmm. once I had done that, I felt like okay, like I've I've now thought about running form some. I'm not just running in the whatever the default way is. I've I've thought about it. This causes me to land more on my midfield midfoot, less on my heel. Uh, causes me not to have my feet way out in front of me because that like you can imagine what the really damaging running stride is is when your foot is is yeah. landing on the heel way out in front of you fully extended and just all this shock goes up a, a leg that is stiff and you know of course people get in, get injured running that way so all these different running methods kind of like get you to that point where where you're not doing that anymore and then i sort of figured it didn't matter as long as you were doing that and, and i think that's probably 90 percent true that like if you if you're doing that yeah. you're taking that, that will solve steps. a lot of the problems yeah yeah and so and that's good and, that, and for me that was that was enough back then but like I said, with with trying to to do fewer miles, I'm thinking I can be more efficient, especially if I want to be into ultra running. Uh, you know, might as well figure out form and, and spend the time and the, whatever the cost is in this case, in terms of of pain or missed workouts, uh, to get to a to actually really understand a form and do it well. So, what what's what's different, I guess here, like they actually don't focus specifically on cadence. That's not part of pose. The CrossFit people do talk about that CrossFit endurance, but Cadence isn't specifically part of the pose method that I've come across, uh, and neither is really the feet under your body thing. Like it just these things, I think, come as a consequence of mm. the three pose things. And so the the pose phase is just if just is the 
you mentioned you've got the pose itself which is where you're uh it's kind of hard to describe but one leg is basically crossing the other and your shin is you know more or less parallel to the ground and and your legs form that sort of like your body forms is like like a number four kind of shape like the old uh, mm-hmm. you know the, that other four um your foot's up that, like near your knee kind of yeah right kind of and, and you know there might be some angle in that but but yeah. yes that's that's the pose and and apparently that's not like something that you need to think about doing because every single runner does that no matter what like at some point you're doing the pose but i think you can think about doing it better um and and getting it getting your foot a little bit higher so that it's not <laughs> too low as it tends to be i think people get really tired um the, shuffle, anyways, the ultra shuffle yeah exactly so so that's the like that's the pose frame and then from that you are falling onto your landing on the ball of your foot but the but the fall is important so you're not really pushing off with your with your quadriceps you're just falling letting gravity do that work and then the pull up of the you know foot that is that is now on the ground uh that you pull up and the idea with that is that like in the drilling kind of stuff that i'm doing like you basically stand up straight against the wall like just six inches off the wall and you practice pulling your heel up to your butt without hitting that wall with your with your foot Mm. and so it's it's more of a um i don't know It, it ends up making you feel like you're kind of pulling your leg up at this at when you're actually running it doesn't feel like you're running doing it straight but it feels like you're pulling it up uh, at a very sharp angle and that's just like a different feeling so it's like this you're constantly pulling your legs up in this compact kind of tight way and then falling over uh, and in the middle of those things is this pose frame so and it's like, the go ahead. This is, it's all kind of coming back to me <laughs> now that you're talking about this it, it um there's like you can basically do this exact movement in place Right, unless with minus the fall, and so it's the fall that is creating the like move forward moment movement. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, you can you can yep you can do the first two frames in place, and then you just can't fall forward, obviously, or else you'll move forward. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and like so, like this is I, I don't know to me, I haven't compared this. I I read Chi Running back in the day, which also has the lean forward. Right? The idea is like both these programs have this: you lean forward from the ankles rather than from mm-hmm. the hips. Which right. most a lot of runners' tendency is to lean forward from the hips, and that's not good. But your whole body is angled forward naturally. Then that results in a fall. So while chi running doesn't talk about the fall, they talk about this leaning forward. And so basically, I think I do think you get kind of the same place as a lot of other running programs. And for someone who's a runner like I am, which is you know not trying to be an Olympian or something like that, I don't think I don't think there's really I, I don't really think it matters which one of these you choose. The 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 part that is significant to me is that like while in the past all i did was start increasing my cadence and i managed to keep that up in this case i'm actually like going through this whatever it is 12 or 16 week process of incorporating this form into my running routine and so like i think it's the same if if you picked chi running or you picked Mm -hmm. some other running method you're going to end up mostly the same place it's just a matter of like are you actually going to go through the the process of learning to do this and hopefully mm-hmm. gradually incorporating it, not not like I have where you just go for it. But either way, whatever. I mean, hopefully you'll get there without getting injured. Um, that's that's the difference to me. It's like I'm actually going through the process of learning a running form and ingraining it. Uh, yeah. Rather than and just not like, just not just thinking about you know heel strikes or or cadence, but actually doing the drills, doing the like the time that it takes to to retrain yourself how to run. Exactly. So, so that's why I'm like. 
I guess it's I want to warn people like don't just like listen to me say these are the three stages of pose running and yeah, tell yourself right. okay like I I can get that or I can go out this this afternoon and imagine myself doing those three phases and like I'll I can check that off and say now I'm doing pose because because you're absolutely not uh, or any running form until you actually go through the process of of conditioning it but like I said if you don't care that much as much as I happen to care about it right now like if you get to the 180 cadence thing like that's that's 90% probably of the way there. And I think that's going to solve most injuries, like you said. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So there you go. That's cool. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear more about uh, your training as the time comes and, uh, and more about this, you know, your success with pose. Yeah, we will see. Hopefully, it, hopefully it turns into success right now. I can, <laughs> like I said, I'm I can not, feel not shin splits. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, I've like, I've felt, great when i do it and i've i've run in the training some some good times like i had a specific workout a month ago or something where like i remember running in my old form and then i suddenly said no for this 10k i didn't i didn't make this conscious decision but i noticed in my as i was doing the run that that to actually run in the pose way where i've had this forward momentum this falling and this landing on the ball of my foot that it just suddenly felt better than the old form like it felt like it had become more efficient than the old form and that was kind of a turning point where I started doing it all the time. And like, that's a pretty neat point to get to, to realize like, wow, there's another form of running that I, because I've been willing to go through some of the process. Cause like anytime you change your running form, you're going to feel slower. And every, when you try the 180 steps per minute thing, mm-hmm. you know, everyone says this, like you try that and it feels like you're not going anywhere because you're just moving your feet so fast, but it takes your body time. You got to rebuild. I mean, you have to build different muscles. First of all, more importantly, like we talk about all the time now, is that you need to train your brain to recruit the right muscles. And it just like, it doesn't feel natural for a long time. So it felt like a win for me with this pose method to get to the point where I could tell that I was now more efficient because of it. Uh, And my sense is that that's largely from the heel versus forefoot strike thing. Like I can feel the breaking action now when I'm landing on my heel versus when I'm landing more on the forefoot. uh, And I just feel like I'm, you know, going with less resistance and can just kind of keep falling forward. And like, it's a really good feeling. So anyway, that was the turning point when I started doing it all the time, which has then resulted now in some missed workouts because of the calf pain being so much. Uh, so, you know, the best thing is follow one of these things, like actually follow one of these plans and like incorporate it the way they say to. Don't just start from day one trying to do it 100%. Uh, but it's cool. It's cool to see that it is changing because like I I just never, never thought about running form. Like it's so easy to think the way that we just run by default is probably the right way. You shouldn't have to learn how to run because we're all born to run supposedly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's easy to like ignore running form, but it also makes sense that if, if like you're taking this one repetitive motion tens of thousands of times that like, it's probably worth some time to make sure that that movement is, is really optimized. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yes. So that is that. Um, all right, I think we're I think we're done. Doug, I, a question occurred to me while we were podcasting. Where are you podcasting from? Are you are you in in the barbecue joint or something? <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm actually in the garage, uh, back in the house, which is why I had to request that we do it a day earlier than normal because uh, mm, there aren't any anybody working today. It's much quieter here than uh, than I can get a space in the in the co work space. So, kind of gotcha. in and out doing it. Last time I did it in the house, so it's kind of wherever I can mm. find a place to have a quiet quiet mic. That's what's hard about being a podcaster. I know the life of a po- podcaster stuff. <laughs> hey, before we go, I want to remind everybody: if you go to YouTube and you Google uh, 
coffee shop sounds. You can find some pretty long, good tracks <laughs> of, of actual recordings from actual coffee shops. And you start to get to know the people. You hear the barista's voice. You hear them greet people. You start to listen to the same track over and over again. I think they're several hours long, but you listen to one for a week or so, and you start to feel like you're really part of that coffee shop community. And <laughs> just then, don't look at the comments, right? <laughs> that's, I was just really recommend the comments are actually, the only time YouTube comments are good and worth reading is on these coffee shop <laughs> because people call out all these funny moments and they, they type, you know, they, they write the transcript of what the people said during that time. And they, they like make up characters basically for who these people are and what they're saying. And it's just great. It's just, it, so anyway, I actually got a lot of work done listening to coffee shop, uh, mm-hmm. YouTube tracks. So highly recommend that. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do that when I move back out to the office. Okay. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. All right. Sounds good. Thanks everyone.